I am just getting so much out of this David series, and today's message uh, is, has a subtitle, and of course, I'll be explaining this as we get into the message, uh, and it's, let's see, I'm not seeing it, there it is, okay, hmm. I don't know why I'm, I'm seeing it up here, I don't know why it, it came through, the, it, it must be an old slide came through, okay, an old slide came through from the last time. So I'm going to give you the subtitle. Here we go. Loyalty to courage and purity. Loyalty to courage and purity. Because we're going to see a friendship relationship with David and Jonathan that is so unique in the Bible, the way they give specific descriptions of their closeness and loyalty that we're going to get lessons from that for our own friendships and relationships. But I believe that it was a loyalty first that started toward seeing God-given, God-blessed and anointed courage and purity. Now, let me give you a little more heads up about future uh, David series uh, themes that we're going to be dealing with. Normally, next week in the story, I've been trying to keep kind of chronological through this series, you know, and not exactly. And next week, I would have done what I would, uh, Ziklag. Ziklag was the name of a town that David and his men were living in while they were still in hiding from Saul. And they, they were away uh, out of the town, and, and they got raided. All the women and children and things got raided and, and kidnapped. And I won't tell the rest of the story. Uh, but it's so powerful. It's one of my favorites. Well, I've been talking to Sean Ellis about his visit here, and he wants that theme. That's something he's taught on, and he's excited about that. So I won't get into that next Sunday. In August 6th, Sean Ellis, who you'll just love his teaching, uh, is going to be here doing the Ziklag story. It's so good. So next week... I'm going to get into when David brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem for the tabernacle for worship. It is a crazy story. The things that happen in just bringing this holy, sacred set of, of, of this worship box here representing uh, the presence of God, it's just wild. And I'm going to get into that and also this heart of worship in the book of Psalms next Sunday. And for me, I'd actually considered just jumping into a series of worship for several weeks. But I, I, I didn't want to stop the David series. I didn't want to do that. And this message next Sunday is really important. I'm asking God that it be a Sunday where our hearts are revitalized toward worship for him. Revitalized and we're alone at home when we're with our family members, when we're here together on Sunday and other times. And so we've been praying, the elders have been talking and praying about it. And when this series is over in September, that we're going to actually do a worship series in September, mid-September or so, and just <clears throat> allow the Lord and, and, and kind of just keep asking, Lord, to maybe, maybe we won't need this series in September. <laughs> By then, God would already have revitalized our hearts, and we won't need it. We'll just do it for fun, you know. So, so uh, but I do sense it. This is something we need right now, and I'm going to ask you to, to join with me in, uh, in, in praying into that. 
Now, so here you have these two men, very uh, just, (laughs) these are mighty warriors. David grew up a shepherd, which means he lived outside in the wilderness more than he did inside. Uh, Jonathan, we'll see, is a known as a mighty warrior, warrior in the in his father's army, Saul. And so when I started, you know, let's look at some some things just to get our minds going about close friendships. Uh, all the memes out there about girls, okay. <laughs> And ladies in their friendships, it was kind of hard to find a few, but I found some that just relate to friendships in general, okay? And so here I thought with the minions and their, uh, uh, you know, lifestyle and their friendships, we are best friends. Always remember that if you fall, I will pick you up after I finish laughing. That's right. And good friends can laugh at each other and not take it personally. It's great. Um. You know, there's all these things out there, BFF and Pinky Promise and Besties and all this. It's so, you know, fun and close and it's kind of, you know, feminine. But let's go there. All right. So BFF. All right. When you and your BFF know something nobody else does, there you go. You and BFF have a secret code of communication. I didn't grow up with this whole Pinky Promise thing, okay? That was something that people had to tell me about just more, you know, in the last decade or so. And here's a quote from an unknown author. Let's swear each, uh, let's swear each with our pinky will be the best of friends until we are old and wrinkly. Now, I saw another uh, statement about uh, pinky uh, promises and besties and all that, and it was kind of a little weird and scary. It was that that comes from that pinky promise. If you don't keep the promise, we'll cut off your finger, your pinky. Isn't that lovely, little child? Let's have a pinky promise. Yeah, we're going to cut your finger off if you don't keep your promise, little kid. You know, not very nice. Um, I can relate to this with a couple of uh, close friends I have in the next one here. When your best friend starts telling an embarrassing story about you, And I bet Simon has a lot of embarrassing stories. Yep, he wants to keep them private. And so that's part of being a best friend, right, is you keep some of those secrets between you because it's like you could bribe each other and you could really uh, tell some secrets on each other and some things that have happened and uh, and, and really uh, embarrass each other, and it could be fun. Now, or we could just stop here and spend our whole service today with an analogy of man's best friend. So who is man's best friend? Oh, cat lovers, huh? Look at you want to battle with this? Dog or cat, you want to battle, all right? Okay, well, really, it's the dogs that get the reputation of the loyalty that we're going to talk about today. We see more in dogs and running to help your best friend in their time of need. Isn't that a cute little fellow there? And so these dogs, you know, take their loyalty seriously. And and I found one quote from a dog who suggested this. "Uh, Guys, you know your dog is your best friend. Just put your dog and your better half in the trunk of your car and let them out an hour later and see which one's happier to see you. (laughs) That's an interesting case there. That's an interesting case. 
So yes, dogs are faithful and some cats are in their own special way. So we are going to look at this unique relationship with Jonathan and David. We actually find out who Jonathan is early on in 1 Samuel 14, and I'm just going to kind of tell you about him. And what's happening is the Israelite army is just kind of uh, camped out. They're not doing anything. They're in a stalemate where they're, they're just kind of camping. And mo- many of the soldiers and men um, have, have retreated into hiding in caves and things because the, the Philistines are close, and they have a fortress <clears throat> excuse me, nearby, a garrison. And so battle is going to be looming soon. There's a lot of fear in the land. And Jonathan, we believe, is a young man in his late teens, around close to 20. <clears throat> and he um, and gets his armor bearer, and he says, look at this fortress, this garrison of soldiers. And he says this to them, to his young man. First Samuel 14, 6. Come, let us go over to this garrison of these uncircumcised, It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. So he's saying, for nothing restrains the Lord if the battle involves many or few. When the Lord is in the battle, hey, and he comes through, the victory is ours. And so he is speaking faith. He is speaking courage. It comes from faith in God that God is, would be on their side. And the armor bearer knows the odds are against him because there's about 20 Philistine soldiers outside of the walls of this garrison, up on this uh, field. And the odds are against him, but yet this faithful armor bearer says, yes, master, let's do this, whatever's in your heart. I trust you and your faith. And so they have to climb a cliff. So it's, they're really... In a, in a disadvantaged place. They have to climb up this cliff to get to the place where they are. And they take on these 20 Philistines and slay them all. And all of this is happening in view of, of the other Israelites, and the word got out that this was happening. <clears throat> and sure enough, that victory put courage in the rest of the men and the soldiers, and they came out of hiding and pursued the Philistines, and defeated them. And so really, Jonathan in this, this, in Saul's army, Jonathan is the kind of first courageous uh, warrior who depends on God, the supernatural power of God to give them victory. And as a friend of mine said earlier, that I bet David heard about that story and it just totally built his strength up in him inside himself. Even though he was too young to be in the army, he was still a shepherd boy, uh, and his older brothers were in the army. Uh, that is, uh, uh, he heard the story, and that built him up. So what happens next in this, where we hear about Jonathan, is right after David kills Goliath. And really, the same principles apply here with David and Goliath. God is all-powerful. If he works, it doesn't really matter how big this giant is. There's fear all over the army. Not one soldier, not even Jonathan, had the courage 
to go out there and face Goliath 101. David has his faith and not set on God. He's like, what is this ungodly giant speaking this lies and falsehood about my God? Who's going to take it? Who's going to do it? What's the deal? I'll do it. And I believe that Jonathan is watching this process of young David saying yes to take down Goliath. Tries on his dad's armor, Saul, no, I don't want that. I'm depending on God and how he has trained me. And there we go. We see this Jonathan watching David have courage from God out of a pure heart This is where we get this phrase, a man after God's own heart is the description of David. And there we are, Jonathan watches this after this great victory. The soldiers all have courage. They pursue uh, the Philistines, have a great victory just like before with Jonathan. And we come to 1 Samuel chapter 18. And I encourage you to go there and let's see what happens with this friendship. Now, when he, this would have been Saul, had finished speaking to Saul, <clears throat> David and Saul were speaking, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Let me stop there for a second. So, I believe that this loyalty is in this quick kind of attachment, in this quick uh, honor and appreciation to David, this knitting of the soul came from, he saw this courage from God, which Jonathan had experienced as well, and the right motive of his heart. He hadn't seen a soldier who didn't boast in himself, but boast, instead of boasting dependent on God. And he was attracted to this courage and purity. Now, how much did Jonathan know David before this? We don't know for sure. However, remember, David was in the palace playing his harp and guitars for worship to King Saul already for a number of months before this event here with David and Goliath. So Jonathan could have been in, in, I would think, yes, he would have been in the room and he would have enjoyed this worship, this, this heartfelt man after God's own heart, worshiping God and this freedom to worship. Jonathan seen his pure heart. Then he sees his courage taking down Goliath and this all comes together, and Jonathan is, just steps out in loyalty to David. Let's keep reading the next few verses. Saul took him, that means David, that day, and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him, gave it to David with his armor, even his sword, his bow, and his belt. And so when you say the word uh, Jonathan David made covenant, that is cut covenant. So in the Middle Eastern uh, ancient times, that would involve blood in some ways. You're cutting and it would involve blood. And one of the traditions of that time was a handshake. You would cut your palms slightly, there was blood, and you, you did a handshake so the blood mixed. And that was the cutting of the covenant. And covenant is really the same word as loyalty. It's I'm pledging my loyalty to you, David. And Jonathan is the 
better half here. He is the, the one that has something to give to David. He gives him his robe, which would represent his uh, royalty and all the wealth of being the king's son and the king's uh, wealth and kingdom. He gave him uh, his, his armor, his belt with the sword and the bow. So he gave him his strength. He gave him his weaponry for victory. And so he's giving him everything. David didn't have anything to give him. This is a one-sided covenant. But to Jonathan, he saw his heart of courage and purity that was uh, uh, placed there and developed by God. And he wanted to be uh, loyal to that. He wanted to be connected to that. And he pledges his loyalty to him. I want to say this. I've seen Bible teachers refer to this, and I think it's true. This is a foreshadowing. This is a, a reminder or symbolism how good our covenant with God is. It's a one-sided covenant that we get. David was just a poor shepherd boy. He was a no-name. And, but when God makes covenant to us, it involved blood, the blood of his son, Jesus. And it was a one-sided covenant. He, he gives us his salvation. He gives us his resurrection power. He gives us his peace and joy. We don't have anything to give. Just open our hearts and say, yes, I give you myself. You know how frail I am. I am but dust. You know, and yet God pursues us and wants this covenant with us. As that is, we are his, his passion, his love. He pursues it. He wants covenant with us even though we really can't give them much back except a surrender, total surrender. You died for me. I'm willing to die for you and give you everything. And that is, this is a, a foreshadowing, a symbol of Christ's covenant with us. This phrase that the soul of Jonathan was knit with David and he loved him as his own soul really actually has some foundations in other places. I'm going to let you see it in the Gospels, it's in Matthew 22, starting at verse 37, where Jesus is summarizing the commandments. And he first says, verse 30, let's see, let me read. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. And that's out of Deuteronomy 6, I believe, and it's the Shema. It's what the, the, the Israelites repeat over and over again. And so that was kind of, yeah, that's a no-brainer, yeah, Right? And then Jesus actually picks a, a, it's out of Leviticus. It's just a sentence, just like it's stated here. It's not developed in the book of Leviticus, but it's in the Old Testament. And Jonathan and David, in a sense, would know that it's there, even though it's obscure, it's not really explained. And Jesus uh, goes on and says, well, he says in verse 38, this is the first and great commandment. 39, he says, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And so you shall love your neighbor as yourself was already spoken about in the, in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant. And in the New Covenant, Jesus highlights it, puts it together. This summarizes all of the commandments and the law and the prophets. And, and so really loving others as yourself, which is like, wow, that's, that's not easy, is it? where we would love someone else as much as we would put our priorities 
in the first in line that we would love somebody else that much. And yet that is the way Christ views how love and friendships, love in the body of Christ should go. So we need Christ's help. So in a sense, this relationship and this description to love him as his own soul is like a new, again, a New Testament foreshadowing a, a, uh, uh, a, an example of what God wants us to live out in our friendships. But they were kindred spirits. They both had a, had a desire to have courage in, in God. They wanted to have the right motives of purity to do all they do in battle for God. And then, as the story goes, David becomes a captain, has many victories. Perhaps David and Jonathan fought on battles side by side, back to back in these battles, but they had these victories together. And then we get to this story, which I'm not going to spend time on today. I've done it a few weeks ago, about this jealousy from Saul and how Saul becomes the number one enemy against David, yet David hasn't done anything. So 1 Samuel 19.1, Now Saul spoke to Jonathan his son and to all of his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted greatly in David. This was confusing to him. Uh, Jonathan goes to David secretly and says, Listen, I, uh, my father seeks to kill you, so he is giving him the inside scoop the intel, and he's saying, listen, I'm going to be warning you and finding a way to protect you. And so Jonathan goes to his dad, and he confronts him. And he says to his dad, let not the king sin against your servant. He said, this is a sin, dad. This man is innocent. He's only done good towards you. And so, sure, Saul was in a place of mind. He said, okay, you're right. And so David comes back to the table there in the palace, and, uh, and things are looking so good. Oh, this is wonderful. He's rejoining them, and things are going well again. But this distressing spirit that's been taunting and haunting Saul comes on him again, and he gets that same spear for the second time, throws it at David to kill him. David escapes. He goes to Samuel, the prophet is still alive at this time. He goes to him, is protected by this supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. Even though soldiers come to kidnap David, they, it can't happen. They end up prophesying like they're there to minister to the Lord and worship a prophet. They come over this and it doesn't happen. And so it, this pursuit of Saul is so intense to David that David sneaks off with Jonathan out in the wilderness. And he, he says, you know, what have I done? Why? I am one step from death from your father who has all the army at his disposal. And Jonathan, he does this, which again, to me, shows that though he was the one who was the king, the prince, with all the authority, he submits to David and he says, uh, in, in 1 Samuel 20 is where I'm at, verse 4, he said, whatever you de- whatever yourself desire, David, I will do it for you. And this is, David gives him a plan. You go back to the palace. I Tell him I'm with my family. We're having a special sacrifice. I have to be there. I'm not 
going to be at the king's table. Tell him that. See how he reacts. Reacts. I'll be out here in the field hiding in the wilderness. And then you come back and tell me. And they came up with this code of shooting arrows this way. And when I shoot them over here and I tell the lad to go here, that means this. And if I shoot the arrows over here, that means uh, every, it, not okay. You got to stay in hiding. And over here means you're, you're fine. You can come. And so sure enough, Jonathan gets in this conversation with his dad. And his dad goes off in anger. He's, you know, he's saying, where's David? Well, he's with his family right now. And, and I'll, I'll just jump there over to this. 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 30. It says, then Saul's anger was aroused against Jonathan and said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? Now, let me tell you, that's like a cussing rant over your son. That is shaming him, calling out that even your mother would be embarrassed about you. You're, you're embarrassing all of us, and you've chosen the loyalty to someone else than your own father? And he had. And he chose this godly courage in this holiness and purity that he saw merged in David, this young mighty warrior. He admired it. He wanted it. He wanted to be around it. He wanted to be like that. He saw God working in him. So right there, I mean, this is so damaging to this father-son relationship. Verse 31, for as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, you shall not be established, nor your kingdom. Now, therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. So he knows, you. I'm sure you know where David is. You bring him to me. And if, we, if you don't kill him, if we don't kill him, he's going to take your kingdom. Jonathan wasn't worried about that. Jonathan already recognized the godliness and God's choice that David would be the best next king. And he didn't worry about losing his uh, pa- position of power like Saul. Saul was driven by fear, losing his power and position. Jonathan said, oh, I trust my God. I see the godliness in this courage and purity in this man. I want to be united with him and loyal to him. So this is what happens in these next few verses, 32. And Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said to him, why should he be killed? And what has he done? Then Saul cast a spear at him to kill him, by which Jonathan knew that it was determined by his father to kill David. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce ankle, ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had treated him shamefully. And so this is what's happened is that this same spear Saul has thrown as David, now he's throwing it at his own son. Jonathan was risking his life with David, not just on the battlefield, but in the presence of his father. He was risking his life to try to protect David. That's the kind of loyalty, even unto death. And so what has happened between David and Jonathan is that they had made covenant again. They made another covenant. He goes back and he, they shoot the arrows to signify, uh, Jonathan, to signify that there's no hope. 
They, um, they weep on each other's shoulders. And they, it even says in 1 Samuel 20, uh, and this is verse 41, and they kiss one another and they wept together, but David more so. They knew this would be the last time that they could ever see each other again. That they're going to have to have a permanent separation. And that his own father, who David was serving faithfully, was, could be successful in killing him someday. And Jonathan says, no, look, God has chosen you as king. And Jonathan leaves and still pledging his uh, loyalty to David, but goes back to his, um, to his, his family, his father. And unfortunately, later, dies with his brothers and his father. Now, I want to spend a few minutes, I don't want to take a long time with this, but a few minutes, about the question that you'll Google it, you'll see it. There's a little argument and debate going on out there that David and Jonathan were homosexual, that this was a homosexual relationship. And they'll take phrases that we've read and referenced and said, see, this is evidence that this was a homosexual relationship. So it's even in the Bible, and King David ended up being the, the, the great ancestor of the future Messiah, Jesus. And so why are you condemning homosexual when it's right in the Bible and it's exalted right there? Well, let's talk about, for a minute, um, some of these phrases and instances and, and let's look at it a little more carefully. For one, I believe that there is a brokenness in our society that opens the door for all kinds of looking for love in the wrong places, in the wrong ways. And my heart, and I'm asking the Lord to give me his heart, for anyone that I know or will know, who is homosexual, lesbian, or transgender, that I see them with the compassion of the Father's heart. That yes, I'm necessarily not going to agree with them as we look at this story, for example, but I don't want to, uh, uh, I want to show them that I care and love them even as they are, even though we have this disagreement. And so let's look at about this kiss that David and Jonathan have. Actually, uh, kissing, men kissing, is even today in some cultures an expression of honor and loyalty and respect. We see it in a number of places in the Old Testament and New Testament. Uh, For example, when Joseph sees his brother Benjamin, there were the 12 brothers, and Joseph and Benjamin were the youngest. And when Joseph finally sees Benjamin, and after all these years of being apart, he embraced him, wept, and kissed him, just in a sense the same type of setting here uh, with John and and, uh, uh, with David in a time of sorrow. We have Aaron, who God calls to be the right-hand man from Moses. And when uh, they're called together, uh, it says that, uh, and that, that Aaron went and met Moses and kissed him. We see the prophet Samuel, uh, when he anointed a Saul, that he anointed Saul king and he kissed Saul. And 
you know, and there's, there's other examples like that. But let's just go even to the New Testament. Paul tells us in some of his letters, greet one another with a holy kiss. And that's in the New Testament. So next Sunday, we'll start our fellowship time. And instead of go, go across the aisle and shake hands, we'll say, okay, everybody, you can kiss each other now. <laughs> Obey the Bible. It says this in the New Testament. See, it's a cultural thing. That would be very uncomfortable for us. And we'd be wondering, why are they doing that? But it's a, it, this was part of their culture. It wasn't unusual. It wasn't anything to be alarmed at as if there's something impure uh, or unholy about this. No, no. The, um, uh, and, and the story of Jesus when he's betrayed that Judas told those guards with him, the one who I kiss is the one you need to arrest. And when he did, even Jesus, the son of God, said, oh, Judas, you betrayed the son of man with the kiss? And, and even that was a sharp pain to his heart that you used that expression of love and honor to do the betrayal. And it even surprised Jesus. And so this is, in my opinion, just there's 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 no support there. This phrase, like I said, that there's uh, that he loved him his soul as his own again is another biblical phrase in the Old Testament and New Testament. It's actually a part of growing together in communion with one another in friendships. It's something that we can experience. I think it has a lot with having a. Uh, as they did a similar calling and purpose where you're going to be uh, partnering together in ministry. And so this phrase is not nothing to be alarmed. Now, for me, in 2 Samuel 1, I'm, again, just going to refer this to you as one of the strongest cases that this wasn't in a homosexual relationship. Because in that culture, it would have been embarrassing. It would have been so wrong. It would have been punished. It would have been against God's law and would receive punishment. It would have been, if it, when it happened, and I'm, I'm just going to say assume, I guess it did, uh, you know, occasionally, it would have been all hidden, all hidden because of breaking God's law and receiving punishment. Well, in 2 Samuel 1, David finds out that Saul and his sons, including Jonathan, have died in battle. And it you would think, as others did, oh, he's finally free from his enemy. He's going to be so happy. No, he goes into grieving, and he writes a song of lament, it says. He writes it, and it's published. It's something that he sings. It's something that it gets, it gets written for the people of Israel to lament these great warriors who have sacrificed their lives in battle. And he especially says, honoring words of Jonathan. And there's this phrase about this mighty family, how have the mighty have fallen? And then it goes on to says that Jonathan's love was more wonderful than the love of a woman. And it's like, oh, well, that's it. See, that's the proof because he's saying it was a romantic relationship and it wasn't just friendship. I want to tell you that I, that there's no way that a leader would make public a homosexual relationship. And I don't believe any of the hearers 
heard anything about homosexuality when this was written in that day. If it was happening, it would have been never written in a public statement. It would have been their little secret that Jonathan and David had. And so this for me is another, with all the other script, there, there is just, there's just no evidence that this was true in this or other godly relationships that we read about in the scriptures. I believe that this goes to maybe some of you who've been in combat or been in life and death situations, and you are trained to your fighting is to not just keep yourself alive, but your buddy alive. And there's this comradeship in, in front of life and death situations where you're saving, you're fighting to save one another, that there is this loyalty and this love and the devotion because only you and him or whoever's involved knows how close you were to death and how much you had to give 100% to survive. And I believe those relationships, the loyalty goes to a whole nother level. And I think soldiers in combat have experienced it and they know what that is. Now, they both were married. They both had children. So there was no other indication or evidence for this and that I want to move on. Because I want to go through and spend some time out of this amazing story, and I skipped over a lot of details, and I tried to go quickly, to give us lessons for our friendships, for our relationships. What does loyalty mean for us, and how can it be expressed? So let's just jump into it. A definition of loyal is faithful. It's steadfast in allegiance. It's being devoted. And hey, we're loyal to our favorite UK basketball team or U of L. Or for me growing up in Virginia, my dad and I would watch the Washington Redskins play. And I grew this, this great loyalty to the Washington Redskins. They won three Super Bowls under Joe Gibbs in the, in the 80s and, and early 90s. And I raised my sons uh, to, to love the Washington Redskins. Then we moved to Pennsylvania. And we lived in 13 years in Pennsylvania. And you saw all the Eagles football games. And they were winning under Aaron Reed was their coach back in the day. And their loyalty switched from Washington to the Eagles. And they won't wear a Redskin or a Commanders, as they're called today, T-shirt. I wear the T-shirt, Okay. Now, I like the Eagles, too, living there 13 years. You, you grow to enjoy that whole thing. There's loyalty in sports teams and all that, but we're talking about something else, right? We pretty much understand covenant when you talk about marriage. Because whether you're a believer or not, a Christian or not, that's what a wedding ceremony is. It's making covenant, saying to the public, to God as our source of strength to keep the covenant we're going to be loyal from this day and every day until death us do part. Because if any day from that moment of the wedding on, and either one has been unfaithful to another, uh, to some other man or woman in romance or sexual relationship, it is automatically known you have broken the covenant or you're threatening the covenant. Covenant, in, in one moment, 
this whole lifelong devoted covenant can be threatened and be and, and, and end. So we actually know maybe more about loyalty than we think. Family, I believe, we kind of understand that family, we're blood, right? We're blood. It's an automatic covenant. You're born into it. You carry the same name. You have the same ancestors. You have many of the same experiences. And what's so powerful about a family loyalty is that we know each other better than anyone else in the world. We grew up seeing all of our mistakes, all of our flaws, and yet we're still loyal to one another. Family loyalty. This is something that's innate enough. Now, some family situations are awful. Some family don't have loyalty because there's just abuse. There is, it's not just your uh, relationships that we, we learn in our families how to forgive. We learn we must forgive to go on. Otherwise, we'll just be mad at our brother and sister our whole life. We'll be mad at our parents. We learn how to forgive and move on. We see all the flaws in family. And so that's one of the lessons God wants us to learn in family. And yet, unfortunately, there's some very painful family situations of rejection and that God must restore our hearts because of the woundedness in our families. No family is perfect. This is part of maturing that we get a healing about the wounds from our family so we don't walk in that in our future relationships. What's the definition of trust? Because trust and loyalty are tied together. Definition of trust is being reliable, rely on, or depend on, or place confidence in. You're depending on somebody, you have trust in them. If you have confidence in them, you have trust in them. Trust can go up and down. Forgiveness and love can stay constant. Our loyalty can even stay constant. We can forgive someone and still not trust them. Some people have a problem with forgiveness because they think, if I forgive them, that means I've got to trust them again and they got to be my best buddy again or I got to invite them back into the home or into this project or whatever. No, you can forgive them in the heart and still have wisdom of protection and parameters and let the trust be rebuilt over time. So you can forgive and still have a place where trust needs to grow. Same thing with love. We can love someone and still not trust them. This happens in the teen years in parenting when you start releasing them into young adulthood decisions and you're doing it because you've been training them and you start releasing them and yet if they don't earn your trust, you don't give them the more freedom. You say, hold it back. We have to build your trust. Don't you love me, mom and dad? Why don't you let me go out on... I do. Love, I love you as much as I've ever loved you your whole life for 16 years. I've always loved you the same, but I don't trust you because last Saturday you didn't keep your word. You didn't come back and you never told me until this or that. You see, you've got to rebuild trust. You love them the same. You forgave him. You're not holding a grudge. But this is what happens in relationships and friendships learn this. Friendships that stick together have to learn how to forgive. I've 
think that today the word loyalty is just not as known and understood. In the business world, men and women may work for a company for 20, 30 years and work for that one company, retire. That doesn't happen today. The company's not loyal to the employees. Therefore, the employees are not loyal to the company. And there's constantly switching around. It's Loyalty is just hard to find. I looked in back in my own life. I've lived in several states and in several cities, and I found I only have a couple of friends. One out of my time here, uh, excuse me, my time in college, all my high school buddies, we were tight in in Virginia. We had great times together, um, but we haven't kept in contact. I'm not a Facebook guy. Uh, and I, it's not, I'm guessing, I, I'm just telling you, I would waste too much time on Facebook. I have friends from Virginia growing up. I have college friends and someone live around the world. I have seminary friends. I have mission trips, friends from different mission trips. I have Kentucky friends in the nineties. I have Pennsylvania friends and Philadelphia friends and then Morgan. I mean, if I would love to spend two hours just catching up with old friends, it'd be great, but I don't have time for that. And so there was one college friend that we built friendship in our junior year. He was, I was already, he was a chaplain on the floor. And then he moved to Kentucky to go to seminary. I went to seminary there. He's lived in different places, but he's moved back to Kentucky in Wilmore, Kentucky. And we have kept a friendship going for 30 some years. That is rare. There was a friend here in the 90s when I lived here, moved here in 88, and, and I moved away to Pennsylvania. There was one friend that stayed in touch with me, and we stayed in touch with each other. He still cooks really good food. His name is Roger Gaines, and, I, and we have kept a relationship, friendship going for like 35 years. That kind of long-term relationship is rare. I want to tell you, because it's usually based on where you work friends, because you're around work all the time, or you live in a certain area, and then someone moves, and now you're not in proximity anymore. Those, that's not bad. It's just natural. You don't see them. It's nothing guilty. It just takes that extra effort to when you don't have the proximity uh, of closeness with each other in the distance to keep it going. And so what I say to you that, uh, here that this loyalty is rare. But in all situations, when we do love and forgive people, God can rebuild trust again in a relationship. It can be rebuilt over time. I'm going to give you a couple of lists of things that threaten friendships, and then I'm going to try to close this out because there's some great lessons here. What can threaten loyal friendships? Proverbs 16, 28. A perverse person stirs, stirs up conflict, and a gossip separates close friends. Some of the, the translation here is a whisperer separates close friends. Some of it guess what I found out about them. And that whispering, that uh, in, in you know, taking the confidence separates close friends versus keeping a confidence. That's the opposite. A friend that you trust is someone who keeps that confident and confidence, and therefore you know that you can share things, and the opposite just will break that trust so quickly. Proverbs seventeen nine: 
Another one, whoever covers an offense uh, and offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Love and forgiveness covers the mistakes, sins, and even helps heal the hurts. But keeping repeating that hurtful issue and bringing it up in the past, bringing up the old sins is one that will break the trust and the closeness of the relationship. There's a phrase in 1 Corinthians 13, I'll just mention it quickly, that love keeps no records of wrongs. Isn't that awesome? And if we do keep record of wrongs, that breaks our trust with that family member, that friend, and the loyalty there. So you don't want to repeat old hurts. You want to extend loving forgiveness and keep that confidence. Instead, God wants us in 1 Thessalonians 5.11 to encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. That God wants us to not just encourage a group of people like our family members as a group at the table or encourage people at church around a small group. He wants you to encourage a one another person. There's a person God wants you to encourage and say a specific word of encouragement for them. And you're going to specifically be called to build that one person up. Do you see this one another phrase is vital here? And that's where we enter into a deeper relationship when we do a one another mindset. This passage here, I've got to take you there. It's full of some really powerful stuff. Galatians 6, chapter 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, that would be a sin, you who are spiritual, restore, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. See, there's something that happens when we have a friend who's committing a sin, an action or attitude. God wants to restore them gently. And as we're doing that, there's a temptation around it, lest you be tempted also. And there's this this confusion about, well, I'm loyal to my friend. I can't speak honestly about him. I can't confront him about this. I can't go there and speak the truth of love because they may get mad and then they'll be, you're not loyal to me and our friendship will get hurt. And there's this, this tension and this clash, which loyalty to God or loyalty to my friend, which do I do? Because this happens when a friend is slipping away, when they're in sin of some kind or going there, there's a clash. This is why when those who are of getting free of addictions, of drugs, alcohol. It could be other things. It could be lust and sex. It could be other things like an attitude of hate and forgiveness. And you're walking out and you're a new believer. You, you don't want that anymore. And you talk to them and they say, well, listen, we're going out regardless and, and, and party or we'll just, we're, we're, we're going to gossip anyway. And, and, they, and your relationship gets, in a sense, changes to where now you're not a mutual friend reciprocating, but now you're a ministry to that person. And it's a one, more of a one-way relationship. Because you know, if you stay, our friendship is loyal, it's way up here, then that temptation to enter into that sinful attitude or sinful action is right there. So what can threaten loyal friendship? Also, friendship loyalty when it overtakes holiness. 
and you're having to choose between your holiness with God or this friendship. Go on in this verse, it says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Yes, God wants us to carry one another's burdens, our best friend's burdens, and fulfill the law of Christ, which is the law of love. But what can happen here is that we can, in our support of them, start caring, and we're, we're trying to support them emotionally and build them up. We might start being tempted with their bitterness. And their spirit of criticism, their spirit of division because they've been hurt and they're not going toward love and forgiveness. And so they're carrying this bitterness and they want you to care it with them. It's called taking up another person's offense. They're offended. They're in this process of trying to get right with God, but they're going toward bitterness more and more. And the scripture says in Hebrews 12, 14 and 15, Verse 14, pursue peace with all people and and holiness. Not just peace and friendship, but also pursue holiness with people, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this, many become defiled. So that bitterness, the nature of it is to grab onto others and defile others with it. And so again, here's this clash of your friendship loyalty. You're having to talk to them honestly. Listen, this sin of action or sin of attitude is not what is is good for you. And therefore, I can't go there. Why don't the praise team go ahead and come on up here as I'd say a few more things in closing. Because the world might think and say, our Friendship loyalty is so honorable at any cost. You stay loyal to your friend. And actually, the best you can do for your friend is to show that holiness is a higher priority in your heart. There's a higher loyalty to God than to them. And when you do that, you've been a witness for them. Their their jaw is dropping. They're like, What? We've been friends for decades and you're telling me you can't go here with me. You can't do that with me. You're that this is dragging you down and you, what do you, I know this, my heart is hurting, but my obedience to the one who's another person who's made covenant with me by his blood, he's given me everything in this relationship, his life, his blood his resurrection power through raising from the dead. I am most loyal to him. His name is Jesus Christ. He loves me so much. And he loves you too. And just like my heart is breaking over you, his heart is breaking over you. And I am here for you. I forgive you. My love is steady for you. I I, I still care for you. But I can't go do or say or have that attitude. I can't go there.
let's just stay quiet here and um, just wait a moment. Holy Spirit, there's a lot in this message and a lot about relationships. You teach us, Holy Spirit. what relationship what aspect of courage of purity of loyalty do you want us to respond to in our hearts want to be that loyal friend. We also want to be loyal to you more than anything else. And I'm going to say a prayer. It's just a salvation prayer that if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ or you did and you've just been so busy or overwhelmed or whatever and you just kind of push that him out of your heart and life and so it's been weeks and weeks or months and into years and you you feel very distant pray this prayer with me in your heart those here or those online and I know that if you mean it from your heart a miracle of restoration is happening I'm going to ask everyone to repeat these words after me dear Jesus I don't want to be far from you any longer You've given me everything. Your blood, your life, your resurrection power. I believe in you now. And I want close relationship with you. Come into my heart. Live here. I turn away from my sin. I turn to you. I am yours now. I give you my heart and life. I belong to you. Thank you for your love and loyalty, Jesus. If you prayed that prayer today, tell someone this morning you want to pray further with you or the friend that brought you or you you know a Christian friend and tell them today and get that love and support of following Jesus in a loyal way all the days of your life. I'm going to say a a blessing over that week and you'll be dismissed. I'm going to ask Angela Milburn to come over here. I'm going to ask the shepherds. They might be in, in ministering in a classroom right now. Somebody can grab them. And, uh, and then people who have that desire and heart come around them. Pray for them over here. We have some more, uh, some others here for um, prayer on this side. And if there's anything going on in your life that you want someone to pray with you, you don't want to leave out of here and, and it's just you battling this by yourself. You want someone to agree with you. Stay a while.
for them, for me, someone else. I mean, we want to be a house of prayer and pray for you in, in what you're battling right now. The worship team is when I close. If you just continue to worship, thank you so much. Father, we go into this week knowing that you are encouraging us. Help us encourage and build up one another. That there's a certain person on Sunday. There is a certain person on Monday. There's another person perhaps on Tuesday that you want us to encourage and build up. Lord Jesus, thank you for your loyalty toward us. Make us a loyal family, a loyal spiritual family here at Living Waters. And I sense that so often, over and over again. I thank you for that, for that, God. Work that into our relationships, our family, our spiritual family. A loyalty that resembles you. We're so grateful for you. Lord, thank you for your grace that's more than enough into this week. In Jesus' name, amen. To you our hearts are open, nothing here is hidden. Oh